Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Hard labor is over. Olha só esse pé direito, que maravilha, Helena. Isso aqui é um achado. Como é que fazem isso com você? O sujeito trabalha lá 10 anos, depois é cuspido, que nem, que nem sei lá. Que botaram o Flavinho no meu lugar. <risos> o Flavinho. E ele é maior de idade. <risos> o lugar tá mobiliado com tudo, Otávio. Prateleira, freezer. Eu acho meio loucura a gente se comprometer com uma coisa dessa agora, né? Eu vou fazer isso dar certo. Deixa eu tentar.
Andy, we're still doing our 10-year uh, uh, celebration, our 10-year yes. versanery. And that's what we're doing <laughs> the whole series on 10-year movies, 2011 Versa, movies. Versanery, is that what they're called? Versanery's that we've, never, that we've never seen or something like that. And uh, that's how the movie Hard Labor ends up on our list of movies. 10-year anniversary celebration. That's right. We are celebrating this movie and all these movies that were released 10 years ago that we never heard of. <laughs> or I guess maybe maybe some of them we heard of, but we hadn't seen. We hadn't that's the important seen. part, and so we end up with hard labor. Now I don't remember any particular cansa, yes advocacy that went on to get this movie on this list. How had you heard of this movie? Is it something you were excited about? My recollection, um, and this is going back to when we put this list together, is that we looked at films that came out 10 years ago that had been directed by uh, at least one woman, in the case of films like this that had uh, co-directors. And I believe we then just kind of looked at some ratings like on Metacritic and IMDb and just kind of evaluated like which ones are the ones that people seemed to rate rather highly at the time and uh, thought, let's look at those ones. Okay. That's my recollection. I don't think there was anything in particular in how we selected because, again, like we hadn't seen these movies and it's been 10 years. And so other than something like uh, we need to talk about Kevin or Pariah, which I, I feel like those films have... Uh, stuck a little bit more in kind of uh, you know the the visibility like those are ones that um, are are out there more but films like this uh, you know kind of have disappeared from the landscape and so it's an opportunity to look back on these to see you know should it have disappeared from the landscape um, is it a film that uh, that holds up after ten years and uh, you know is it is it worth talking about so here we are. Well, and here we are, and you know this is my favorite part of the show that I feel like may have been in the notes at one point, but you continuously delete it. What did Pete think of this movie? Well, you you might uh, have noticed that I didn't even bother writing notes in the notes today, because I'm just like... <laughs> If I just put notes in there, then he's going to know things. I know. That's why I normally don't. But you'll notice I did put notes in today. This is why I normally put... Oh, I stopped putting notes in because now I feel like it's a thing. And now it's just like... Is that a thing we're not just... We're just going to stop doing now to because of the game that I've created, that I've manufactured? I, well, yeah, I, I guess. I, I, I'm really I excited know. about it. I like that I this, this is where we're going. More trickery between us as friends. Well, we'll see. I still post my reviews ahead of time, so it's not too big of a surprise. And I, let me tell you, I work hard not to read your reviews uh, now because I know, especially for, for if it's a movie we've talked about, mm, shut the window. Don't want to see it. <laughs> don't want to see it. I don't want to be spoiled. So no spoilage here. So what did Pete this think This is of this a grocery movie? store with spoilage, but not us. <laughs> not us. I'm an inky black stain. You are. On, I think yeah. that's... Yeah, I think, wasn't that something that you said you wanted to have written on your tombstone? Inky Black Stain? Yeah. I, yeah, sure. Pete was an Pete, Inky Black Stain. Inky Black Stain. <laughs> he died as he lived, an Inky Black Stain. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, so, um, I think that you hated this movie, and I think you couldn't <laughs> wait for it to end. I think... You wanted to take that sledgehammer to the characters and just get away as quick as you could. Oh, man. Wow. Aggressive. Okay. I can't wait to see how this turns out. I think you thought, yeah, it was interesting. It was a, it was a film, and I had some quibbles, but it was kind of middle of the road, and there were some hints at metaphor, but it was, uh, it was mostly middle of the road for me, and uh, it, didn't, it didn't really give you anything transformational. Uh, but, but I do think, uh, I do think this, is, this is potentially, if you give it any thought, it's a quibble-laden film for, for Andy Nelson. Interesting, okay. And I don't, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure you're not going to be talking. You're going to be revisiting it. I just don't think you'll think about it that much. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Uh, this film was not rated when it came out. And honestly, of all the films we've talked about pretty much since we started this season, it's pretty much the safest film <laughs> 
for anything. Like, according to uh, IMDb's uh, ratings page, uh, it hasn't been given any information as far as sex and nudity, violence and gore, profanity, alcohol, drugs, smoking, frightening, and intense scenes. I mean, sure, there are some haunted elements to it and a potentially uh, creepy remains of a creature. So I guess there could be something that might be a little frightening and intense, but I think this is possibly one of the more safe films to look at that we've discussed so far. Want to watch this movie and help us out? If you see an Apple or Amazon link to this movie in our show notes, you just click on it and that will take you right to their site where you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, we get a little tiny piece in return. Up in our game in the merch store. Are we really? We haven't gotten our horror movies up there, but we're getting them. We're working on it. They're close. So close. So close. And then just wait until you see the one for this movie. You just wait. I'm excited. I know Andy's excited about it. We're also very excited about what that shirt will be for hard labor. Mm -hmm. It's a hammer and a tooth. Just check it out at truestory.fm slash TNR merch. We're now featuring audio reviews from you, our dear listener. Just email your 30-ish second audio file to reviews at truestory.fm as soon as you watch the film. We just might showcase your voice on the show. Get them in quick, though. We record early, so the sooner you get your clip in, the more likely it'll end up in the podcast. Again, it's reviews at truestory.fm. And if you don't know where to find that list of movies that we're talking about this season, they would head over to letterboxd.com. That's letterboxd with no E, X, no E, D. And I don't mean letterbox N-O-E-D. No, it's just letterboxd.com. And if you visit there, you can uh, you can start your own wonderful diary of movies, movie reviews, create your own watch list. Letterboxd is a fantastic social network for movie lovers. It is a bespoke social network for movie lovers with some of the coolest community that we found in our space. And we are HQ partners. I, that I don't I don't really know what it means, but it feels pretty special. And if you visit uh, our HQ page at letterbox.com slash the next reel, you'll be able to see all of our watch list. You'll see what we're working on, what the list we're working through this year. You'll see our Saturday matinee trailer list. You'll see all the lists are, are there and you can become your own member. If you like it a lot and you want to remove the ads, uh, head over to the next slash letterbox to get 20% off. This works for re renewals as well. If you're already on letterbox.com and you click on the little, Hey, I want to be a pro or a patron. Don't worry. Use the code next at checkout. You'll get that same 20% off. Yeah, it's really the only social media site that we really enjoy being on. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. And we also like the people who make it. The people who make it are great. They've been on the show before. We really, really like uh, Letterboxd it's a, and, and love supporting them, and we hope you will support them as well. Andy, uh, I meant to ask you the other day, what is the cost of the entrepreneurial spirit? $3. Outstanding. Let's hang it up. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the shades. We're done. <laughs> Hard labor. Hard labor. Wow. We have a, a young uh, woman, a young wife, Helena. She is. She wants to open her own neighborhood grocery store. And just as she's about to sign the paperwork, her husband loses his uh, accounting job. And they have to figure out, one, are we still going to be entrepreneurs? Am I still going to open my grocery store? And two, how are you going to get a job, husband, in a wackadoo labor market in Sao Paulo, Brazil? It's rough sailing for this family. Uh, and this is what happens when they try to put work to work. What do you think? Uh, oh, are, are we doing the big reveals? Is that what's happening? Don't, right you, th don't you think? I guess I at mean, some point we must. Let's just do it. Right. Yeah. I actually really liked the movie. I, I really enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed this this look at kind of the work life. And you're looking at it from three different perspectives, largely the husband, the wife and the maid. And you're, you're kind of getting a sense of the challenges of working in Brazil in the uh, the early 2010s. And as their economy was certainly going through um, one of its many rough patches over the last several decades. And, you know, I. I what I I really enjoyed kind of the way that 
this film. I mean, certainly it came up when we were talking about our horror films, but the way that this film also integrates some metaphor and this idea of the the challenges of of finding work, of working on your own, of you know getting into a place where you are essentially a uh, you know a a part of the economy and and keeping things going to support yourself, support your family, make yourself feel like you're worth something. So I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. So I painted your picture as being a little bit more middling to fair, and you liked it a lot. You painted my picture as being an extreme hater of this movie, living down in the in the depths of my rage for this movie. And I would like to tell you that is not the case. I didn't love it. Uh, but but I, I, I also, I think what I was doing was actually projecting heavily when I was talking about yours. I found the movie <laughs> rather inconsequential. And part of it is because um, I... I appreciate already the struggles of entrepreneurialism, of starting a new business, of of building trust in the people that you work with, all of that. And I also have been out of work. I and and I appreciate Octavio's struggle to find work. I, I've been out of work. It sucks and it makes you scream. And I get it. And the movie did not take that lived experience in these two people, Helena and, and Octavio, and give me anything more than I've already experienced myself. And therefore, it's like uh, it, it was inconsequential. It, it showed me no new real world beyond doing all of this that I've experienced in Brazil. But honestly, I didn't find that entirely um, uh, sort of extreme enough to demonstrate like what what it's like when you have high unemployment and it's hard to get work and so the the movie did not did not deliver more than i've already seen and so i didn't i just didn't love it and i i feel like after we record the show it's a movie i'm not going to think about a whole lot uh, i i would say and and the, the pieces that i'm really interested uh in talking about are the the attempts at introducing these elements that are more substantial weirdly uh, metaphorical, supernatural, that kind of thing that I feel like were not exploited at all. It was such a light touch on the more interesting things that they mean ultimately nothing in, in the film to me. So that's where I stand. Didn't hate it. Definitely didn't love it. Uh, all right. Well, so where should we start? Where do you want to start? I feel like the grocery store, just talking about the store, the elements of the store, the acquisition of the store, the remodeling of the store, all of that stuff is really interesting to me um, because it it allows us to open the door to this first major layer of metaphor, which is the black ooze and the and the stain uh, on the back wall. So the 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 situation with the store, you know, she acquires a store in the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie and she's in there, you know, looking around, they sign the paperwork and then there's sweeping the floor and you start realizing just the level of difficulty they're going to have as they start pulling back the the shelves they pull the appliances out of the wall and they find stuff behind them um they find you know so many bugs lots of little bugs that they have to sweep up i'm not crazy about the bugs <laughs> um and and start figuring out there's something going on behind the walls of this store and what 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 feels early on like just a little stain you you ultimately realize is a um is is a growing kind of a rot in in the wall of the store and and early on they have to replace some tiles because of a grotesque clog in the drain that is just hair and ooze and the black ooze and maggots and maggots and starts coming up through the floor i should also add as a set piece there are always dogs around dogs howling angry dogs out in front of the store that's just kind of another soft touch piece so acquisitions what does the store mean for you in the movie well i mean yeah i think that i mean if we, we may as well just kind of as we look at the store focus specifically on elena uh you know mm -hmm. because she is the one who uh kind of takes on the store to to kind of helm it and run the store. And then we can talk about Otavio and, and Paula yeah. uh, separately. But uh, Elena and the store, it is a, it's an interesting element, the way that it's set up. And I feel like it really is designed to 
kind of highlight the challenges and the difficulties of of running your own business and and how hard it can be and how it changes you too you know i i think it's interesting to see elena start i i'd say a i don't want to say softer character but um maybe more gentle at the beginning and as she continues working uh at the store it's like it it kind of is also changing her and it's almost like this rot that is in kind of growing up in the store is also kind of it almost feels like it's getting into her and she starts seeming like i i don't know if they designed her costumes more um uh rigid or or kind of like with with um straighter cuts to them but it just felt like and even just like the way that she seemed to be lit it just seemed more to emphasize like the edginess uh, like you know she's she's rough and and becomes much more sharp and pointed and as she starts becoming almost obsessed with the kind of the rot in the store but also the just kind of like that translates to her and how she sees every employee and at the beginning you know when she's talking to uh, the wor- woman who works the cash register gilda very kind they're talking about the fact that she's going on a date and all this stuff like she has a relationship with her and by the time we get to the end like she has turned into like the worst type of boss who has no relationship with her employees other than just to direct them what to do and is very harsh and very suspicious of them and so yeah this this element has really grown inside her where she trusts no one and she's basically like you know ready to use them and exploit them whenever she can, having them, forcing them to work on holidays, whatever it is. And so I found that, that element of the store and kind of like this, this haunted nature of it, you know, she's, she's got creepy things coming behind her. Uh, like when she, that one scene when she's trying to figure out like what caused that, the motion sensor on that little laughing Santa to go off. Oh, and, spooky Santa. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it, and it goes off and then she goes through the, uh, I don't know the plastic flaps that you have when you're going into like a, a, a different temperature area in the store, mm-hmm. and uh, all of a sudden they move, and she goes through it, and nothing's there. And it's like, what the heck is going on? It just like this place was so full of of very creepy things, and it's interesting how they set it up, where as the audience we're questioning, like, was it the former owner? Like, what happened? Because the, the the land people. They're setting up like this story of like the the last person was very strange. They left in a hurry, like all these things, like they never knew where they went. They have this box of stuff they left behind. Oh, don't worry about that. They're never going to come pick it up. Like what really went on here? Who knows? It creates this haunted sense. So that's so it's an interesting kind of element, the way that it kind of takes those two different things and kind of creates this creature this this monstrous creature that really is kind of you know growing and infesting this place that they uncover later yeah and and as she changes and and they find the collar right that was like my my impression of that because earlier in the film when she goes to her daughter's school play they're talking all about the emancipation of the slaves in brazil and that to me looked like a collar that slave owners would put on their slaves and so I thought that was something like a hint, you know, about the way she's treating her employees or something. Yeah, employees. But then you find that they pull out the dead body of the werewolf creature in the behind the wall. And it's it starts to make more sense why the giant hair clog in the drain, um, why the rot in the in in the like the moist rot in the brick, uh, all of those things start to make more sense. But do you see what I mean about what a soft touch that is? Like none of those elements, I guess you could say that that brief the the intensity was amped up a little bit in the grocery store with that that real harsh blue light and the weird Santa and the waving like you just mentioned. But it was so brief that and and so faint a touch at these elements that it, it was like too clever by half, right? It was trying to be so subtle in some of these elements that I I just don't think any of it really worked uh, for me. Like it it never actually raised my blood pressure at all. Uh, oh, and I I agree with you. I think. That it is a very soft touch sort of story. And I, and, and that, so I guess by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, okay, that was really interesting the way they used the metaphors in the film. They weren't obviously 
designing to cre- create just a straight up horror film, which they could have done. Uh, you know, I just like watched his house recently uh, after having talked about it on a show earlier. And that very much goes into the kind of the horror territory with a place and the metaphors and everything. And, and you get that sense of, of this thing that is kind of taking you over. And so to that end, I, I guess when the movie ended, I said, okay, so they weren't going for the horror thing. What they were doing is really just kind of creating this, this mood that kind of created this atmosphere. And, and, you know, I think, I think that it worked. I, I kind of am right there with you. I think I could have used a little bit more going down kind of that, that dark horror metaphor train in that direction with this film just to kind of amplify it but knowing that they chose not to go that route it just puts me in a place where i'm just okay so this is the direction they chose to go where what was the intention and i you know what i came up with was it's just to create this mood of this place that just makes you it kind of takes you over and it just it just takes a lot of joy out of you is really kind of where i was left with well, and it it's like trying to remind you, like, again, it, opening that question at what cost, right, endeavor, right? This is she, she, as you rightly say, and I, I think, you know, our, our principal uh, actor here, uh, Helena Albergaria. Uh, I think she's I think she does an able job at at communicating that transformation over time uh, as she becomes more invested in the store and becomes more connected with the store and more disconnected from her family, you know, by way of Paulina and Octavio. I, I think she does a great job of communicating that that darkness over the course of, you know, her experience as a business owner and how she treats her employees and how paranoid she is, right? This is every day sort of invites new reasons not to trust people. Like, do we all really think that I think was Ricardo or, uh, you know, her her first kind of employee stocking uh, bread and stuff was really stealing food and and going home with it? Like, I, I don't. I don't necessarily think he was. I think that was a manifestation of of him, you know, and her relationship. But so what if he was like her reaction to it is what really counts. And I think she did a, a fine job there. So I'm not sure if I needed less of the horror stuff or more of the horror stuff, like less of the horror stuff and more of just the human nature uh, approach is its own horror. But once they started introducing tropes, I wanted I wanted that kind of movie. And I needed it to commit, and it never quite committed. Yeah, no, I can see that. It's it's definitely an interesting decision that the filmmakers made to kind of introduce some of these horror elements into the story that don't resolve, right? Like yeah. this strange werewolf creature in the wall. We knew that there was something with the previous uh, store owners, not owners, but the the people who ran ran yeah, a store. Like the leasing yeah. agent, he was shifty. Yeah. So, like, what what you know? Where were they with? in context of the people who had leased it before and were they involved in the disappearance like who knows or does any of that matter is it just like that body in there really is just a metaphor for this this driving animal and you know what i mean where i end up going with it is especially when we get to the end of the film when we get to otavio and we see him at this uh job i don't know job um what would you call it? It's not a fair. It's really just kind of a, a it's like seminar. a networking event, right? Yeah, a, it's, it's like this seminar that he goes to to kind of talk about learn how to better adapt himself to finding jobs and stuff. Yeah. And in this particular one, they're like letting the animal within out. And so I, I found that to be an interesting element where, you know, so are they saying that this this creature in the wall is this kind of what? the Brazilian economy and the society really does to people who who do let the animal out and and try to like take take charge and run things themselves but then there are people like the owner of the building who's leasing it who kind of still comes in and like crushes them down uh, you know where where is the line there and so so or or is the wolf creature the the former owner <laughs> you know what i mean like is this what happens like ultimately helena would turn into a wolf creature that's what we're really saying is that her darkness comes out and she would need to be put down with a giant hammer. Exactly. Do you think the hammer was used? I mean, I'm assuming the hammer was used against whatever was in the collar. Well, I mean, they find the hammer and chain behind the, uh, yeah, like kind that of the ice, freezer. ice cream, ice box. Yeah. Yeah. When they're moving that out, it's just laying there. So, and then they find it 
when they pull that rack uh, aside to look at the wall again, it's there. And so these things just keep and along with like claw marks on the wall. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. That's well, what. But, yeah. And see, this is where I think, like, is is it the metaphor about, like, employees who are potentially doing these things and kind of like, you know, they're they're sending signals to her about the fact that she's treating them like slaves. Like, that's how I was reading that. Like, an employee must have done that is, is where I went. Really? Oh, man, that didn't occur to me at all. At all. Yeah, no, I I never read any of that. That's a really interesting way to look at it. If it was if it was this was uh, some sort of employee potential employee uprising. I mean, I'm not sure how else to read it. But again, it's it's peculiar because, you know, later when she has Paula come to help her out and Paula's sweeping, she comes across what looks like a, either a giant fingernail or a tooth or something on the floor that is a little disconcerting because it does look like rather monstrous sort of thing. And so you have things like that. You have the uh, the claw marks on the wall, the thing like, so I don't know if it's just, you know, and we've talked about this with some of the horror films. Is it just metaphor there? And, the, and we're just looking at it, a story that couldn't in reality take place. We're just looking at it in context of the world of metaphor and and what we're pulling out of it, you know, much like the Babadook or Relic or things like that. Well, but I, I would make the case, I think, that this is less satisfying metaphor, right? Because I already get the metaphor, but they've introduced some really concrete elements uh, that lead this to potentially become a different kind of movie. And it and because of this sort of lack of commitment, it just ends up looking untidy or or sloppy, and uh, it doesn't actually complete the picture. Not like the Babadook, which has a very sort of pointed narrative structure, and at the end, you like I feel like it's you. If you want to look for it, you get it at the end. You can you can have a satisfying conversation about what the movie is saying on a number of different levels. And on this movie, I feel like I can talk about what's actually happening in the frame, and I can guess at what the movie is saying. And the act of guessing in this movie is not a satisfying experience for me. I don't. I like it. Just it just comes off as as. Uh, kind of sort of clumsy. No, and I, I, I think I can see that. I mean, it's it, it, it it's it's muddled. I guess that's where I yeah, end muddled. up with. Like, yeah. like I think these elements are really interesting, and I enjoy the way that they all kind of blend together, and they're they're they make me kind of think about like what's what's going on in Brazil at this particular point in time. That's that's leading the, all of these sorts of situations to be happening, um, but it does still leave me like, okay, well, I, I still don't completely understand you know, how all of this ties together and, and ties into these metaphors. Like, it's a little, it's a little confusing for me. I find it really interesting, but it's, it's confusing. I find it's a movie with a great deal of potential. The story that I think I'm most interested in, and, and I think I probably should be most interested in Helena's story, but the one I'm most interested in is, is uh, the maid's story, Paula. I'm pretty sure that's because that is, she's the recipient of the economy the way that it is. Uh, and, and I think has a, has the greatest potential to, to tell us some lessons about what's really going on in, in, in Brazil from the perspective of somebody who's working there. From her very first choice, when she's told at the outset, yeah, this job is off the books and I'm not going to pay you, uh, the way you want to be paid, you know, for the first month. We're going to be on a trial basis, and then I'm not going to pay you, you know, as much as you want to be. It's off the books. It's going to be like a cash-only arrangement, and all of that is is unsettling, clearly, to Paula. But that is, she says, ultimately says yes. She says, "I'm, I have to do this," and that that becomes her story. While she is clearly then looking for other work elsewhere. Well, not not until late in the game. Not like, until very late. Yeah. 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 And eventually we do find that she has found other employment working like in a mall or food court type of place as kind of the person picking up. And that's where she finally gets the paperwork that she needs to be official. Right. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how it really is kind of like uh, uh, that felt like a, a definite commentary on the way that the economy had been going and that it was hard to get a job. And oftentimes you're starting at the bottom, working for free, you know, working tooth and nail, trying to get ahead. 
and oftentimes in, in illegal ways, only to finally get to a point where you could scrape by by getting a kind of a low-end job like that. So it was, it was an interesting thing, but it certainly was employment. Uh, and so that's, you know, as far as her story goes, she gets the employment and, you know, it's a live-in em- employment. So she, they're obviously feeding her. It's room and board, all that sort of stuff. So she's she actually has them taking care of her to a certain extent while she's taking care of them. Uh, but then there's Otavio, who, uh, yeah, I mean, he had been the breadwinner for this family. And all of a sudden, everything is upended. His wife has this new business that she started up, and he spends months and months and months looking for a job, very emasculated because, you know, as the breadwinner, he is now unable to support the family. Bills come due, and he's ashamed to ask his wife for the money to pay them. Electricity goes off. That that sequence, when the electricity goes off and they have to have Christmas by candlelight, is just... is totally crushing right and and like how how far did you have to stretch to relate to that feeling not very for me not very it's a it's a real fear that everybody has with paying their bills and like you know this could happen if i don't get that bill paid in time and so it was it was really interesting the way that they they kind of created that set that up and i mean you really do feel this struggle that he is going through you know i mean it's a difficult uh definitely a difficult time for him to just navigate and what it does to their marriage too right like what it does to their relationship as he moves one direction she moves another direction they just become like you know polar opposites emotionally well even when you know she has him come to his store because she's like oh you you could work for me and they kind of laugh it off but then the next thing you see is him at the store just kind of helping i mean he's not quote unquote working as he tells somebody, oh, I don't work here. Like he's so ashamed of the idea that he might be there, you know, and and I mean, that's certainly I think speaks to also the work, the working world, right? You, you get yourself to a certain place. The last thing you want to do is feel like you have to step down to get back into it, which I mean, you certainly see as he starts going through the the ringer of, of going to the interviews and stuff. But I but that moment when he's at his wife's store, I just I found very uh, poignant and and powerful because he is so ashamed to be having to uh, to do this and he's just there to set up the Santa but he's like embarrassed that somebody might see him especially because this person looks like you know an accountant like somebody who he would have been beforehand it I I don't know that that struck me as a powerful moment between them when he was so ashamed to even be seen there potentially helping. Yeah, yeah. I uh, can we talk a little bit about that? I don't. I don't even know what to call it. Was it like a three sixty review process? There was some after he was laid off. Was it like an exit interview? It was the scene where he comes in to to meet with. I guess what was his name? Victor. Uh, he comes in to meet with his. who's was an old friend, Carlos. Carlos. It was Carlos. He comes in to meet, and this uh, young woman comes in and sits down. She has a bunch of files. We, I assume she's from HR, something like that. Uh, and he just wanted to come in and talk to Carlos about this, uh, about, uh, I guess, a job at this company. And she blows up a balloon and draws a face on it. And and uh, I've never had an experience like that. And I wanted to know if you could do that for me. I, I think that's what the film was meant to make you feel like. Um, it put it's it's I, my impression of that was like he's now like out of a job at an age where it's very difficult to find a job like middle aged it's just very hard to get back into the the working world as the film points out time after time and I think what they were saying there is like he goes into this I, I at first I thought it was like a yeah closing departing interview sort of thing but then I was like oh I think it is an interview for a new job. It, I, I think what it was highlighting is the fact that everything out there is so different now that he doesn't even know how to, like his old, the old methods, which for him were reaching out to somebody he knew who could potentially get him in somewhere, they weren't going to work anymore. And he has to now adapt to these new methods to get a job, which are, they seem completely bananas to him. And he's just like, I have no idea even how to react to any of this. You know, I'm supposed to talk about this person across the table as far as like what their strengths are and they're doing the same with me. And then there's this whole balloon with this, um, you know, representing this, uh, this manager. Like it was so peculiar that I, I think it's just, you know, saying, 
you know, you get out there at this age and it's like nothing is what it had been before and you just don't even know how to navigate it anymore. Yeah, right. Very confusing. I mean, it was, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Like that whole thing was so peculiar to me. Yeah, right. Going to those like business roundtables and the networking events. And when she tells, when she says, start, he's signing up to be in this job classification, like this directory. And she takes a picture of him. And then she says, now one without the tie. It makes you look younger, right? That moment demonstrates a change in the in the job market that he was unaccustomed to, and a rift, uh, a generational rift that that you know ends up being sort of news to him. And again, your word, emasculating. And, and you'll notice, like every time he went in with a for a, a conversation with um, new sort of hiring people, they put him against young women. There is certainly a gender barrier that he is fighting there in his in his head and heart, right? Because he's watching his wife take on this new entrepreneurial role, starting a new business. So there you have it at home. He's watching her take on this new thing as he's losing something that he had. And all of the people who are are these sort of gateway agents for whatever comes next for him are these young women. So he's he he is out of understanding of of their their gender and their age, and it's complicated. That makes his final, the final shot of the movie, I think, all those elements wrapped up together when he's in this room with a bunch of other men who are equally confused, and he turns around and starts screaming uh, toward the camera, and that close-up is, it, it is, it's cutting. It's, it's, uh, it's a really powerful way to end that story. Well, and for me, that's where, like, I'm able to kind of, like, get past some of the muddling confusion that I have with the werewolf creature in the wall. And I'm just able to kind of hone in on, like, the challenge. I mean, basically, it just boils down to, like, I, 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 le- I find myself more willing to let go of some of the confusion I have and just acknowledge, you know, it really what this is about. It's about this monstrous working world and how challenging it is. And there's always something behind the walls that's making it that much more challenging. And you just need to get to this place where you can let the monster out and, and just like purge yourself of that because you you it just it buries itself into you and you just it, you you lose yourself i mean he lost himself in depression because he couldn't find work she lost herself in paranoia because she was nervous about everything you know and so it's it's really interesting kind of look at just like the struggles of of life and the struggles of work and I mean, really you get to this point where it's like it's never going to be easy there's always going to be a challenge in all of this and it's I just I like that last moment with him. It sounds like you like it more and more as we talk about it. That well, going I, on I certainly still struggle. No, I mean, I, I think I'm in the same place, but I, I, I really struggle with like some of those metaphors with the monster in the wall and, you know, it, it kind of like the the realities of what's happening there and how it ties into the owners of the building and things like that. Like there's there are some elements that really confuse me and I just don't understand. But then you have these moments like with Otavio and 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 watching his life and just how how much of a change he has to go through and how i mean like how like how much it hits when they plan a family vacation and then at the last minute Elena is just like oh i'm not going i'm i'm keeping the store open and you have to go by yourself like she's closed herself off to her family like it's just i i found it so interesting the way this journey goes for for this family and for Paula too yeah, it's it's also interesting structurally how we have. The, I think I think the filmmakers have put together uh, an experience that allows pretty easy compartmentalization, and I think we're doing it right now. Like it's just easy to super relate to for me uh, to relate to Octavio's story. I am most curious about Paula's story, and I I'm just kind of the, the grocery store story seems m- m- kind of muddled, but I can absolutely see how, you know, I I bet my wife would really love Elena's story. I bet she would really, really trigger on that. Because again, somebody who is a, a busy professional who is sort of continuing to uh, see growth and strive in her career, like it is, it, it speaks, I think, to her. And um, so I, you know, I think structurally, the movie is, is um, emotionally convenient that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. It is well. I I I think that there's a lot of 
elements in it that I, I don't know, I just find really intriguing to think about. Um, so, you know, I mean, is it, is it a great film? No. I mean, is it, uh, you know, but it's an interesting film. It's one that provides opportunities for me to think about some of these elements and, you know, kind of like, you know, the, the challenges that Brazil as a country has been facing with uh, its growing. Do you, do you want to talk about Brazil? I can talk a little bit about it. I didn't dig too deep into it. I, I started trying to read more about it and it just kept going into all sorts of different directions. And so, I, I mean, basically what I gathered was that Brazil's economy, I mean, they've been over the last you know many decades, they've been really trying to shift to a more capitalist economy. And it's have had a lot of ups and downs, and I think just even now from the, from from where we are today to you know ten years ago, I mean it it went through several depressions that were very difficult for uh, for the people there. And I think 2011, at the time the film came out, people probably were feeling a little bit about you know it, costs were increasing. And it was uh, the the market was shifting, and it was harder to you know find work and everything. And so I think that there's there is an interesting element in the film that probably related, or people at the time could probably relate to just kind of some of the challenges that that were going on in the country. And uh, I think probably even a few years later, when it really seemed, I, I think that it, uh, gosh, I can't remember when it, when it said that it was really tanking. It was like. 2014 15 somewhere in there i think yeah i think that it just it hits a place where it just it wasn't great for its employees and so i think that made it real hard for people and you know i don't i didn't especially didn't look too much uh, uh, to the different areas like i don't know how sao paulo did versus rio de janeiro or or the different parts of the country like where certain areas affected more than others um I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, it looks like the second half of 2011 in particular is where it really started floundering. So it probably, this film probably felt pretty relevant to people when they went and saw it there. Well, uh, you know, it ends up being, I think, a fascinating, uh, you know, effort. And I, I appreciate the the. I appreciate the stories that are going on in this movie, even if it still feels slight to me. It I, I don't have quite the impact uh, over through the film as a whole. But, uh, you know, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. We didn't talk about the writer-director pair. Marco Dutra and, and Juliano Rojas uh, were the writer-director pair behind this. Have you seen anything else that they've done? Good. What was the next one? Good Manners? Well, they ended up, uh, I believe that uh, that Juliana went on to direct Necropolis Symphony. They both, after this, they both directed something solo. She did Necropolis Symphony and then came back to work with uh, Marco in, uh, in Good Manners, as you said. And Marco, after this, he went off to do When I Was Alive and The Silence of the Sky before... Uh, coming back to um, make good manners with Juliana. So uh, I haven't seen much else from them, but um, I, I think I watched the trailer for Good Manners. It looked interesting. That's another one where uh, it's it's you know tagged by IMDb as a fantasy horror musical, which is very interesting. Clea, Clara, a lonely nurse from the outskirts of Sao Paulo, is hired by mysterious and wealthy Anna as the nanny for her unborn child. The two women develop a strong bond, but a fateful night changes their plans. So I feel like they really enjoy these types of stories that um, kind of border on a little bit metaphorical, fantastical, horrific but still largely focused on kind of the struggles of uh, real life. Uh, yeah, and I, I feel like I'm at a little bit of a loss because of, uh, you know, I haven't seen anything else. It's hard to see. It's hard to actually see the manifestation of those uh, themes in their work. But I am I am curious about Good Manners, for sure, uh, to see stuff they've done together. But um, well, Necropolis Symphony also sounds pretty interesting. This is the one that Juliana did by herself a few years later. Another comedy horror musical. The routine of an inept apprentice gravedigger changes when a new employee arrives at the cemetery. Together, they must locate abandoned graves, but strange events make them think about the implications of tampering with the dead. Okay. That does sound interesting. Sounds very interesting. So, yeah, yeah I, I think that there's 
I don't know. I, I felt like there's an interesting storytelling style here. And I guess I, it, it made me really curious to look at what they're, what else they've done and, and are going to continue doing. Because I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I think that there's um, an interesting, you know, it doesn't always work, but there's an interesting story here that, you know, certainly, you know, sparks conversation. It's it it feels to me like a it's a pastel when I a pastel blue when I want a royal blue. You know what I mean? That's what it feels. It feels like a faint shadow of what I'm looking for, of what it's hinting at. Ugh, no more hints. <laughs> Let me see the werewolf. Yeah, no, I want Helena standing over it with a, you know, sawed off shotgun in a hero pose. At the end of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, but does that, so does that though speak to your, uh, you know, uh, proclivity for kind of the standard American narrative? I don't think that's fair. I think that, I think that sort of paints me as a pretty simple movie lover. And I, I love all kinds of movies. I think. Well, I I know, but I mean, clearly like there, but there wasn't. Like, it sounds like there just wasn't enough here. And the yeah. way that you're painting it sounds like I want the typical American horror ending. It sure does. I, I, I mean, you, you said I it, not me. <laughs> I did. You're right. I did say it. But I feel like there are other ways to get to it in this movie. Like, dan- this movie dances around it so so much that it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't quite give me enough, enough to do with it. Right. If it's and and part of it is what you know what I want, Andy, is I want less of the supernatural stuff. Right. I I want like I feel like having a mysterious cancerous blob on the back wall of the store that is completely unresolved uh, without any werewolf bodies or fangs makes this a better movie for me. Right. Like uh, something more curious, something less resolved, like having the werewolf body found um, without showing me the story that leads up to that like this is one of those movies where i feel like there's a timeline uh, for this store and they chose to pick the most boring part of the timeline and i want to go back (laughs) and see that first story or i want to see what happens next but right where we are i'm just kind of bored well i mean yeah and i i think what it sounds like to me is that you either want it to really amp up the horror and make it something like his house where we really get this metaphorical story about the horrors of the working world and kind of we have this metaphor to explore where that puts them and why. Or you just want a straight up drama about the challenges of of kind of working and 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 yeah. how these three people deal with the struggles in their own different ways. Right. Right. That's what that's then then we're given something like Roma. You know what I mean? Maybe that's maybe I should just go watch Roma again and just be happy. (laughs) Well, I I, yeah, I mean, I think that you're not wrong when you push for that. And I I think that it certainly was an interesting decision on the parts of uh, Juliana and Marco to dance across these two lines as far as the metaphor versus the uh, more straightforward story. And yeah, I think. For me, I think Otavio's story might work better than uh, Elena's story, but I still find it really interesting when I look at Elena's story. And Paolo's story also, I think, is another just, you know, less metaphorical story, kind of more of a straightforward journey that she goes on. Um, Yeah. I feel like Elena's, like the grocery store, seems like metaphor central. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. When we're thinking about kind of like the the, uh, kind of incessant creepiness that kind of like per pervades everything that elena seems to be surrounded by when we start the film though her house is a disaster like they're they're clearly not doing anything yeah and that was that was an interesting thing to me because he was working and my sense was he was working she wasn't and she needed to be looking for a housekeeper but hadn't but then also wasn't actually doing any work herself yeah does that is that saying anything or is that just like the laziness of the middle class who has to hire somebody to take care of them. I don't think so. I think it's the I I think it's the reality of, you know, the reality of family in economically constrained place. Like she was to say that she was that she was lazy is is doing a disservice to what it takes to just sort of run the family. And 
that she she you know there are people who are not lazy and also not very good at keeping a tidy home and that's not that's not a judgment that's me <laughs> you know like so i i certainly get it i also think that it is a sign of her focus not being on the family because she was getting ready to like start this new business yeah right you know like that just cuz she didn't have the the building really what it said to me is she's been planning this business for a long time. And when we pick up the timeline for the story is the day before she's sending the papers in. And that's an important day, but it's just a milestone on a very long journey. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting film. Um, I, I don't say that I loved it at all, but I found it to be an interesting watch and something to chew on. Okay. Well, Give me, give me werewolf parts to chew on any old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did, was there anything about the, the look of the film that you wanted to talk about? Made or? me seasick. It's all green. So green. It's fine. It's fine, but green. <laughs> well, that, that reminded me, and I can't remember what film it was, but it's something where, you know, those fluorescents just have a look. And every time they would like turn them on in the store, it just, you, you hear those, like the banks of lights turning on and stuff. It yeah. just, it just carried that kind of like, yeah, wave of nausea Ugh. in the lighting. But again, I, I thought it worked well for the world. Yeah, it, it did. It's just, it's, it's, and it was, it was, you know, I, I am sure that, story that visual story was the story they intended to to share and it worked like you say it worked for the movie it was gross and intentionally so and therefore it was a success yeah yeah well we will be right back but first our credits The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM Engineering by Andy Nelson Music by Thomas Novoa Oriel Novella and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at v-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for our show. Please, would you? <laughs> Thanks. Muito obrigado. All right, Andy, how'd it do at award season? Uh, the film had 11 wins, nine other nominations. Uh, you know, it, it did okay for itself out there in the world. At uh, the Cannes Film Festival, where it premiered in Un Certain Regard, it was nominated for the Golden Camera and the Un Certain Regard Award, which I think I said last time is films that are either the first or second film in the filmmaker's career. Uh, this film uh, didn't win either of them. Uh, for the Golden Camera, it lost to Las Acacias, uh, which also 17 Girls lost to. And it also lost the Uncertain Regard Award to Arirang, which tied with Stopped on the Track. So those two films took that award. But it won at the Havana Film Festival, the Grand Coral. Well, it won third prize. The Grand Coral is the third prize award. It won for being the first work. Uh, won a lot of like the Havana Film Festival, New York uh, Festival. It won Best Screenplay at the Brazil Brasilia Festival of Brazilian Cinema. Uh, Gilda Nomache uh, won Best Supporting Actress uh, for the um, the store employee. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, at the at the Premio Contigo Cinema Brazil Awards, uh, won Best Screenplay, uh, the jury award for that, and nominated for Best Film, Best Actress, Best Director best cinematography so you know it did okay for itself it didn't uh didn't like shake things up but uh, it did get noticed when it came out yeah yeah well that's good how about at the box office did it do any good did it make any money Yeah, the movie had a budget of 2 million real or 1.2 million US dollars which is about 1.4 in today's dollars the profit and it's another tricky one, largely because this barely had a release here in the States. Trabalha Arcansa premiered at Cannes 2011, as I said, before opening in theaters in Brazil, September 29th, 2011. 
From what I can tell, it either opened a very limited capacity here in the U.S. on October 30th, 2015, or never actually played here. The data, eh, it's a little fuzzy, a little inconsistent. Either way, if it did play here in the States, there are no grosses recorded for it. With that, I have to assume that its grosses all came internationally, probably all or primarily from Brazil. It earned just over 68,000 Brazilian real, which is about 31,000 in uh, U.S. and 35.3 in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted loss per finished minute of $13,500. Another reason why it's probably hard to find. Yeah, movies are hard. That's sad. I want a lot of movies to be more successful than that. This one, yeah, that's that's hard. But I, I guess I'll say there were. I, I felt like I was watching five minutes of production company logos at the beginning of the film. Did you notice that there were like twenty five logos? So it. If there was a loss, at least they spread it pretty evenly across <laughs> all of them. Noted. <laughs> all right, uh, um, it's it, it's a it's a it's an able film. It's fine. They're doing they're doing a fine job. I'm not going to watch it again. Uh, and so let's let's move it on. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed thinking about it. But yeah, I'm probably with you. I don't think I'll be returning to this one. We'll be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, D. Rees Pariah. Heartbreak opens onto the sunrise, for even breaking is opening. And I am broken. I'm open. See the love shine in through my cracks See the light shine out through me My spirit takes journey, my spirit takes flight And I am not running I am choosing I know for homecoming that I'd want to go with Craig And who are you going to go with, Lee? I'm not going What do you mean you're not going? If she doesn't want to go, she doesn't have to go For some reason, Lee just doesn't like anything I pick out for her anymore. You look beautiful, baby. This isn't me. There's this new uh, women's club up there by the liquor store. You haven't heard anything about it, right? I, I never even heard of it. What if, say, somebody liked you? What if the person is kind of like a friend, but you know they like you more than that? I told you, I talked to Alike, everything's fine. Did you ask her? No, because I don't have to. You don't want to face the facts. No, it's not true. Look, you your daughter is turning into a damn man right no, in front of your no, eyes and you I am broken. I am broken open. Breaking is freeing. Broken is freedom. I am not broken. I'm free. All right, Andy, let's talk about your Letterboxd review. Yeah, Letterboxd. This is an interesting one because I, I feel like I got some interesting things to think about out of this one. I enjoyed the film. I was never bored. The ending really was powerful. I, I just like I loved the ending of the film. It does get muddled in parts, but on the whole, I enjoyed it. I, I think I'm going to give it three and a half, um, but I don't think I'm going to give it a heart. So that's where I'm going to land with this one. Okay. You know, I struggle because of my IMDb six star rule that this I is a it's a competent film. It's doing it's trying some stuff. It's making a swing just because I didn't connect with it. Does that make it a you know a terrible movie? Um, I think I'm going to give it right down the middle for me. The three star. I'm not going to give it a heart as well, um, knowing that you are your review will lift it up uh, in, in terms of our average. So um, three stars, no heart for hard labor. All right. Now that'll put it at a three and a quarter, which will round up to three and a half over on Letterboxd with no heart. So that's where we land with this one. Like, you know, it's a, I, I think it's a film that's interesting. It's worth watching. I think in context of, uh, you know, how does it hold up 10 years later? You know, I think it's an interesting one, especially to look at like how, what it's saying about Brazil's economy at the time and kind of the struggles that people have been going through with that country's struggle to figure out how to, uh, you know, really get their capitalist economy 
working effectively that actually works for all of its people. And, you know, but I, I don't know if everyone's going to get much out of this one. But, you know, I, I, I still am glad that I checked it out. So what did you think about hard labor? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel on Discord, where we will be talking about this movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. I have a four-star review from a two-faced calf. Ooh. That's a joke. I don't actually have a review from a two-faced calf. What'd you do? Did you go high? Did you go low? What'd you do? I just went for high uh, likes. High likes. I didn't. I didn't. This one, The review I have actually has no stars. So No that, stars? I know. What absurdity is that? What sort of vaudevillian abuse of Letterboxd is that? Well, it's just, you know, you, you go for the high likes, and that's where you end up. I, I, Shenaniganry. I no-star review, not no-stars, but a, a review that is sans stars, we'll say, by Sean Baker, director Sean Baker, uh, who had this to say. Been hearing great things about Good Manners, the new film by these directors. So I'm happy that Mubi in Canada has this film streaming so I could check out their debut before taking on Good Manners. Hard Labor is described as a horror film, but it really isn't. It's social commentary in a slow burn thriller package. There's some mystery and classic horror movie devices, but these are presented as allegory. Don't expect horror. Altogether, an interesting take on, from what I can decipher, the recession and class relations in Brazil. And shot on 16 millimeter to boot. That's a that's refreshing for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Sean Baker. Thanks, Sean Baker. I have a four star from D Neil X six who says the elements of hard labor that earn its horror labor are horror label are few and far between. But it would be a mistake to say that disqualifies it as a horror film. There is really only one thread of this title that is horror in that genre sense. But that thread is very unsettling. And the way it's weaved into the others takes what would otherwise be an excellent drama or dark comedy about the power dynamics of class and race, the indignities of capitalism, and the roles we are forced or choose to take on within it, and suffuses it all with a vague but persistent sense of dread and anxiety. In the end, it doesn't come together in a way I was totally able to make sense of, but the holistic experience of the film is as horrifying as it is illuminating. So. I, I honestly think I could I could actually write that same review for the film and still give it three stars or two and a half stars. <laughs> right. Like it, it is it's that that big line. It doesn't come together in a way that I was totally able to make sense of. Sure. Uh, but but I see what it was trying to do. So I get it. All right. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. 